him. The stadium to be ready. Um, many times. What's going on? It's time for another episode of Too Hard for the Radio, transmitting from the future free state of Greater Idaho. I am the one R madman, Nick Meyer, and from the fad lands of Southern Montana, it's Nolan5150. Right on, let's hit it. How was that for the first shot? Not too terrible. <laughs> that was good. That's good. I liked it. How you been doing, my man? Uh, doing good, man. Doing good. Just uh, busy, 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 busy. Getting that work in, but, turning uh, them wrenches. Yeah, it's that peak season right now. Surge is coming up, so we got, you know, clubs coming through ASAP. Hell yeah. Travelers. Probably have some yeah. breakdowns coming through, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, right we got on. a specialist for that. Yeah. And by specialist, I mean the guy that goes and picks them up and brings them back to me. <laughs> <laughs> Loads them into the back of the trailer and drives them back over to the shop. Yep, yep, exactly. So uh, I was thinking about this earlier this weekend, and you'll hear why in a second. But So here's a question for you. When you think about freedom, what do you picture? What do you think about? Man, I picture uh, wind in my hair, uh, open roads, and uh, pulling off on the side of the road and shooting a rabbit and making a stew. That's what I picture. That's not terrible. That is not a terrible idea of freedom. I, I, for me, it is Washougal MX Park. That's the spot. You wake up in the morning. There you go. The race fuel is is floating through the camp. It smells like candy. The bikes are firing up, and it's just the most beautiful track on the planet. It, I, I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. It's the most beautiful track on the West Coast. That's for sure, though. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah. Washougal was this weekend, and last weekend at Millville, I was hoping for a Ryan Dungey podium. He's been. He's been getting top fives, and and Millville is his tra- his home track. So we were, I was hoping for a for a Ryan Dungey podium. Didn't happen. He was again floating around the top five. I think he was up near the podium, and he had a crash in the first moto, if I remember correctly. But you know, top five. So I saw this interview this week. So let's play this interview before we get into Washougal. Six years ago. This so. is Ryan Dungey, um, by the way. I hate to ask this question, but now we're into like the second half of this year. We're getting to the point where this is coming to an end again. Um, have you thought about, eh, am I done after this again? Am I going to maybe do some more? What are you thinking? Yeah, I, I definitely have opportunity on the table. Um, there's some doors that are opening, and which is good. Yeah. Um, I do got a lot of stuff to think about, you know, between myself and the family. And, and um, I think Minnesota is good um, right now for the short term mm-hmm. um, for, for riding. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I think if we're, we're going to keep doing this and move forward. I mean, we're going to have to relocate and probably down to Florida and do something. But 
we got a lot of stuff to figure out between now and then. I'm not giving you an answer. Right, I'm just right. saying like a lot, lot of stuff's on the table. So, you know, we're off to have yeah. some stuff ironed out by, you know, probably October. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's cool, man. But yeah, yeah, we're, we're weighing out all of our options. And, um, you know, I think for me, as long as that drive and hunger is, is still there and, you know, moving forward. I mean, this year I probably cut myself some slack a little bit just, just being out so long. But, yeah. you know. I, uh, if I'm going to do it, I, you know, I want to win. So right. yeah, 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 do it right. So, and if, uh, if we can do that and, you know, keep the balance and with the family and, and not, you know, I definitely, I got to think about all that stuff. Yeah. Now I got two kids and, and everything and my wife. So, um, you know, I want to make sure we have a good, a good, uh, a good balance in, in all areas. Yeah, and one, so. one last question. Sorry. Um, yeah. Now that you're a dad, you you weren't racing when you were a dad. Is it different? Like, is it like you want to show your kids, like, look at what dad can do, or is it cooler to have that aspect as well? Oh, it's nice. I mean, my wife, it was her first race that she's been to this year. and Oh, cut it off short, but we get the picture. The dude is in his 30s. He's been retired since 2015, and he says he's got doors yeah. opening, and if he's going to do it, he wants to win. Oh yeah, <clears throat> it's amazing. How... Uh, uh, Go ahead. I was going to say millennials, watch out. No shit, right? It's Global incredible how much racers. this sport has changed since we yeah. were kids. Like Jeremy McGrath was an anomaly at at like thirty five. You know, it, he was. Yeah. It was crazy to think that you were going to race into your mid to late thirties and still be you know, competitive. I thought it was, yeah, um, yeah. I think, you know, there's been a couple of guys like John Dowd back in the day. He did, he was qualifying from, for uh, nationals at 40, which is, you know, what a beast to be able to qualify at 40. Just incredible. Yeah. It's, um, <clears throat> uh, it's the advance. I mean, you know, medical advancement, um, I think I would I would say the biggest attribute to things like that, and I would even parallel it to uh, like uh, mixed martial arts fighters. A lot of them are starting to not only have more longevity, but uh, peaking later. You know what I'm saying? I, I I'd say it has to do mostly with just uh, general maintenance, like body maintenance. That's exactly body, what I was going to say. Mind, diet. You know what I'm saying? Diet's huge. Like, the shit yeah. that we used to eat as kids. You know, we used to have yeah. birthday parties at McDonald's and shit. It, it was just the things that, like, kids that I'm around eat compared to what I ate when I was their age is completely <laughs> different. And, like, we ate good at yeah. my house. We ate real good, but still there was a lot of nasty shit in there that people just don't eat anymore yeah yeah i mean you can see it in the in the fast food crisis like these these uh major colossal chains that used to be unstoppable they're starting to crumble and there's just grasping at uh threads trying to uh, make themselves relevant and appetizing again. You know what I'm saying? I think Arby's just got a euro or some <laughs> I don't know if I want to eat Greek food from Arby's. Uh, McDonald's closed down all their operations in Russia, 
And then I guess yep. like some, I don't know, probably some Russian oligarch or some fucking crazy Russian dickhead like took over some of the McDonald's and just opened them up and kept them like exactly the same. And I think they just call it something else now. Like McDowell's and coming to America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, so Washougal was this weekend and Washougal's Ryan Dungey's best track. He's killed it there over the years. And, uh, first moto, he gets the whole, he whole shots and just goes smoking around the first turn. And he gets past, Sexton goes around him, but, he, he stays in second, Tomac's behind him, and Tomac's, you know, leading the series right now. Or, I think actually Sexton's leading the series, but Tomac's been winning the races lately. And he kept, he kept that second place gap through the first lap, and uh, second lap comes around, and his bike goes down. Or maybe it was even third lap, and he was climbing back up towards the leader again, and his bike gives out, blows up, he gets stuck behind the hill. He's pushing his bike over Horsepower Hill like an asshole, I'd have been so freaking pissed. So then he gets terrible gate position and, and doesn't do well in the second moto either. But the the things that, like, really interested me about it is, you know, I love the track and I love watching it, and they had great fucking conditions. It was cloudy in the morning, so the track just held up perfect and it didn't get hammered so bad. They were, Tomac was quadding into the, you've been to watch you, you went with us, right? Do you remember yep, the whoops? Yep. Tomac was quadding into the yep. whoops in the first moto. It was just <laughs> incredible. I, I like they tame them down on the on the pro day compared to like the A class when I would race, but yeah. I couldn't even triple in on on the outside on those damn things. I could every once in a while if I got a great run at it, but it, it was a triple you didn't want to come up short on. But man, it was it was something else. But before the uh, before the race started, they did this big package on um, Ryan Villapoto was the announcer for the day. They've been doing this thing where they have a different announcer come in every other day or every other week or two, and then Ricky Carmichael's been doing the other. And Ricky Carmichael's just a horrible fucking announcer. He can't speak. <laughs> he just falls over words and just. Uh, uh, uh. It's horrible that they got rid of Jeff Emming and then Grant Langston. For Ricky Carmichael, who can't even speak. It, it's like, not quite Joe Biden, but he gets stumbling on some words. He can't. <laughs> it's fucking oh, funny. man, that's hard. But they did this, um, they did this package on uh, Ryan Villapoto and his 2000, I believe it was six or seven season. And how he was when he, he had come in, I think it was his rookie year. And Michael Essie had been winning. And these guys had battled through their entire amateur careers. And Michael Essie had been handing it to him. And, and essentially, now I go, as I'm talking shit to Ricky Carmichael, I can't say essentially. My God. <laughs> Anyways. Um, <laughs> they do this package. And they're talking about this season. And how he was leading Alessi throughout the season and come around Washougal. It was getting tight and how he'd won that race and went on to win the championship. That same season was my either first or second year racing A-class. So I was racing Washougal the day before the pro class went. And 
in that race, Mike Lessie was lined up right next to me on the gate because he was doing extra. He was racing the A class the day before to get extra laps and prepare for the race. So he's lined up right next to me. And Washougal is my best track. I've always got good starts there. They've got this hydraulic gate that kind of lifts up a little bit before it falls. And if you time it right, you can just hammer down the straight. So I was able to hang right next to Mike through the entire first turn. And I came around the first turn in like fifth or sixth place. I've got a big picture of it somewhere, I hope. Like a lot of my pictures were burned down in my mom's house. So a lot of it doesn't exist anymore. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, and I did pretty good in that race. I think I got like a, uh, top 15, the, the, uh, results don't exist anymore online, but you know, whatever. Crazy. So I thought the internet was forever. Well, it's not that I don't think it got deleted. I just don't think it was ever saved. Like, I don't think back in 2006 or seven, they were saving amateur results to their website. I don't know. You know? So no, it, yeah, I think yeah. it just doesn't go back that far. I looked into it at one point, but, you know, it is what it is. And then the other interesting part about it was that they uh, there was a local kid there, and, and locals always do well at that track. So there's usually a local guy out there doing pretty well. So there was this local kid running 15th on a YZ252 stroke, and you could hear him throughout the entire track just whining up the entire hill and everything. And... uh they treated it like a novelty act, which I thought was interesting because in, I think, like 2005, I was racing a KX252 stroke there, and I did really well. And the bikes were not novelties at that point. Like, they were still good, fast bikes. People were riding them, and, you know, it was, uh, it was interesting to see how far down they've fallen in just such a short amount of time so this is how we're gonna get into climate change this week one of the reasons like probably the most major reason that my worldview is the way it is is because of these climate change fucking psychopaths back when i was a kid they started outlawing two strokes all over california i think when i was like 15, they instituted this red sticker rule where on a two-stroke, you had to have a red sticker instead of a green sticker. And the red sticker meant that you couldn't ride the bike in SVRA areas during certain times of the year. And it's just, you know, got worse and worse. And, like, some of the reasonings were just crazy. Like, oh, they start fires and they have pollution. And... Like, how fucking crazy is it to think that, like, maybe a 100,000 dirt bikes across one country is going to do anything to global emissions if you get rid of them? Yeah. And then we replace them with these four-stroke motors that, I mean, you've seen a four-stroke race bike light up at night. The, the pipes glow bright red, and if you get your fuel air off a little bit and you're running a little too lean, they'll shoot eight-inch flames out of the back of the pipe. So we're replacing this two-stroke with a four-stroke that is literally no fucking different. And they changed an entire industry. I mean, when I was a kid, everybody was on two-strokes, and now 
everybody is on four strokes and every once in a while you get a two stroke out there as a novelty. Oh, look at that. He was, Oh my goodness. (laughs) It's crazy how quick they were able to do it. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that the bikes are better. The four strokes are better in a lot of ways, but it's kind of a, a bent curve in a lot of ways too. They instituted rules for professional racing that made it impossible to compete on a 250 with a 450. It's just, it's, it's almost like riding a 125 in the 250 class. It's just not even the same type of bike. I mean, it produces the same type of power, but in a completely different way. So, well, the, uh, go ahead. The, uh, the four, the four stroke, uh, I felt like it just became so much more popular because of it ease of operation and um my opinion uh in the beginning they were not easy to operate they were hard as hell to start and they're still expensive as shit to rebuild and for a decent like when i was riding two strokes i was able to to do a top end in 40 minutes with a dewalt drill yeah and a stand and a tall stand 40 minutes i could be up and running again by the time I had it broke in, I could be out for another moto. On my four, on my 250F, the first time I rebuilt that thing, I got the cam on and I got the, the chain on the overheads and I got terrified that I had it in the wrong spot and I didn't know if I had it on top dead center and I just, you know what I mean? Like the first time you do yep. something like that, I was just terrified that I was going to start it up and yep. it was going to, you know, scatter. Grenade. Yeah, so I had to take it, pull apart. Uh, to the racetrack that weekend and take it to my mechanic and say, Hey, did I do this right? And he was, he took one look at it and he was like, yeah, you got it. You nailed it. And I was like, fuck. Yeah. And he was like, just so you know, if you would have been off one tooth, you wouldn't have destroyed your bike. You just would have heard that it wasn't running right. And you would have taken back apart and, and moved it a a notch. It's like, Oh, well, yeah, but it's still, it's so much harder to work on. And they're so much more expensive. I mean, a race bike today, like a 450 costs like 15 grand for a top of the line KTM 450 race ready. That, but like a factory, not, not like a, like, like one you can buy at the showroom, not, not a, a factory race bike. Showroom 15 G's yeah. for a KTM yeah. SX supercross. Mm-hmm. It's not factory. It's got nicer. They have a couple different, you know, levels. It's like the AMG version of a Mercedes, but it's still like, if you're a a professional racer, everything's coming off of that bike. The second you get it, it's still not like a competitive a class bike or, or pro bike. That's all I was getting at. Like that, that's like the base model. Like that's what you start with. Sure. It's a great novice bike. Like for a a novice racer, it's a great fucking bike to get into. Because you, you don't have to do too much to it. You, your suspension's probably going to be good. But, you know, you throw a, a pro on there. And maybe even for an A-class rider, it's probably a great starter bike, you know. I remember, um, yeah. God, what's his name? Um, I don't remember his name. This guy, he gets starts all the time. He said he could pull a start on a, on a stock 450. You could whole shot. <laughs> and, I mean, that's pretty fucking cool. <clears throat> But yeah, the things that they were doing though, like even as a kid, like you could tell it was just ridiculous government bullshit. Like there was no fucking science or, or anything behind it. It was just government bullshit. And I remember like one, this is like one of the 
earliest memories I have, I don't even know how old I was, but I was old enough to like start understanding the world around me. I was probably like 10, maybe 12 at the oldest. And I asked Ralph, who's my grandfather, but on this, on this show, he will always be referred to as Ralph because you know him and that's, you know, who he is. He's Ralph. He's not my grandfather. He's Ralph. And, uh, (laughs) I asked him, I, I said, why are we Republicans? I didn't know what a Democrat or a Republican was or any of that shit. I just knew that he was a Republican. He watched news all the time. He was always watching business and Fox and all that shit. I knew he was a Republican and I figured by default that I was too, you know? So I asked him and he said, he gave me a really good answer to, for a kid. And I, I mean, I still remember it. So it's got, it had to have been a great answer. He said, the people who are trying to take away your dirt bikes are Democrats. The people who don't want you to ride uh, um, snowmobiles through Yellowstones are Democrats. Because at that point, um, Bill Clinton was in office. and he, he cut out all snowmobiles through Yellowstone. And he goes, yep. the people who don't want you to go hunting are Democrats. Those same Democrats want to take your guns and steal your money. And I went... Definitely not a fucking Democrat. I hate these people with a passion. I couldn't stand the fucking motorcycle shit. It was so fucking stupid. I mean, you literally couldn't go riding out in the hills in August because they, oh, it's going to start a fire. When I'd been going to Cow Mountain for, my dad had been going there for shit 30 years, and none of us had ever seen a fire started by a dirt bike. I mean, maybe a firework. Or something like that. But a dirt bike's never going to start a fire. You think a little drip of oil out of the back of an exhaust pipe is going to start a fire? That's fucking crazy. I don't think you could even get it to do that in a lab. Yeah, you could lay it down and try to start a fire. It'd be hard as hell. That's the reason the cops uh, gave me when I wrecked my Jixer. And it was not even like two miles from my house. Off the side of the road, the people across the street came out and, you know, checked on me and all that shit. And then um, as uh, I was getting taken away to the amp- or to the hospital, um, I was like, are you guys okay with this staying here? I will come back and get it, you know. And they said, no problem. Somebody called the cops at some point and, uh, and of course, the cops towed my fucking totaled sport bike and the reason they gave was because it was fire hatch that's fucking insane well yeah. you got and assholes throwing cigarettes out the fucking window starting fires on purpose and they're gonna blame yep. you for the fire yeah that's insane that was stupid and, so and the you're bike, still the dealing with that hot, dude no, well, no. Oh, that, that's, that's a different one done. you're dealing it with. It was just, it, yeah, it was just a, a reference of the hypocrisy and bullshit bureaucracy of the government claiming, you know, fire hazard to uh, steal my money, yeah, basically. Exactly. And just <laughs> be fucking dicks. To. Yeah. I mean, it. it's literally, I mean, what kind of asshole cop who knows that stain is never going to start a fire, pursues, okay, I'm going to find out who crashed there, and now I'm going to track him down and ruin his fucking life after he just destroyed his motorcycle, 
fucked his body up, has all kinds of medical bills. I'm going to take time out of my day to track him down and make his life worse. Exactly. And it was fucking bullshit because that, that bike was not leaking a single drop of fluid and it wasn't even at operating temperature. Like I said, it wasn't even two miles from my house. It was cold and it was not leaking anything. And I, I probably could have fucking sued him, but you know, what's that going to get me? I remember my uh, uncle one time red. was, was smoking a cigar next to a, like a, a, a barrel of gas. Like it, it wasn't even fucking open. Like I was just a kid. I was like probably five years old or something like that. And it was just a barrel of like gas sitting there that was being used for something else. And I was like, Hey, you shouldn't smoke by that. Right. You know, I'm just a little kid. I don't fucking know. And he goes, yeah, yeah watch this. And he pulls the lid off of the, off of the tub and he throws it in there. And I'm like fucking freaking out. And it just psss, goes out. He's like, it's the yep. fumes. It's not the, wa- it's not the f- liquid. Like, well, that's yep. cool. So <laughs> science. Yeah. Fucking science. Right. <laughs> Learning science from fucking assholes. <laughs> All right. Well, I got some after. Like, I, I, I would hope that that should illustrate a good foundation for why the rest of this is bullshit. Because all of these rules are essentially the same fucking thing. They're based on bullshit. Shoddy science, it's about control. They want to be able to tell mm-hmm. you what to do, when, and where. That's it. They want to be able to legislate your entire fucking life. They want central power over everything. And they definitely yep. do not want you having fun out in the mountains. That's fucking ridiculous. Those mountains aren't for you to go destroy with your motorcycle. They're for us to drive by and look at. So, I've got a video here. This is the great Thomas Massey. Do you know who Thomas Massey is? Uh, I the name is familiar. He's a congressman out of Kentucky. He's a libertarian. He's the fucking man. He's the the baddest dude in Congress. He's he he gives it to people. So, oops, I hit the wrong button. Let's listen to Thomas Massey and Pete Buttigieg. Secretary Buttigieg, I've been driving an electric car for 10 years, and I've had solar panels for 15 years, and I'm really bullish on technology and the way it could help make our country energy independent or more energy independent. But I'm really alarmed at sort of the naivete of those who are uh, promoting rapid adoption of these technologies with our existing infrastructure President Biden signed a non-binding executive order stating that 50% of, ele- of vehicles sold in the United States should be electric by 2030. Do you support that? Yes. And he also said that by 20, 2035 that uh, 100% of the federal fleet, federal government fleet, should be electric. Do you support that? Yes. So um, which uses more electricity? We're talking about residential electricity here. A refrigerator when it's running or an electric car when it's charging in your garage? I would expect a car. Uh, would you say it uses twice as much or 25 times as much? I would think closer to 25 times as much. Yeah. It's, it's actually know. 50 uh, in, at the instantaneous moment. Mm-hmm. But over the course of a year, 
If I take the numbers from the U.S. Department of Energy about the average household, how many vehicles they own and how far they drive, over the course of a year, uh, an American household would use 25 times as much electricity for their electric car as they would for their refrigerator um, if they had 100 percent adoption. If, if and the average family has two vehicles, and this would be if the average family had two electric vehicles. Do you think it would strain the grid if everybody plugged in 25 refrigerators in every household? Well, if we didn't make any upgrades to the grid, sure. I mean, if we had yesterday's grid with tomorrow's cars, it's not going to work. Yesterday's grid with tomorrow's cars. Oh, if we don't update, you know what he's going to do? He's just going to, you know how we're going to update it? With pride and rainbows, and we're just going to use rainbow transmission lines. We're going to gay it all up and just make it gay and less racist, and we're going to fucking power this country on hopes, dreams, and rainbows through solar power. Good intentions. This guy's the fucking secretary of, uh, what is it? And I don't remember what it's called, but it, it's uh, infrastructure guy. He's the energy sec, essentially. This guy is in control. Oh, there it is. Transportation secretary. Excuse me. This guy has no fucking idea how this country is powered. Let's, let's continue. One of the reasons why we believe that infrastructure includes electrical infrastructure really? and argued for that to be included as it thankfully was in the bipartisan law. Oh, well, do, you, do you think by 2030, which is when Biden says 50 percent of uh, cars sold should be electric, do you think the grid will be capable of handling electric cars? It's going to need to be. And we're oh. working with the Department of Energy every day. We've established a joint office of energy and transportation to map out some of the needs. Obviously, some of this gets outside of my lane. And we've been discussing oh, really? with, uh, for think? example, the truck stops that are uh, looking at what their power needs would need to be at an interchange where today uh, they're, you know, they're mainly filling up on gas in order to accommodate that. Did and then you hear that? He's talking about truck stops. And he said yeah, they're mainly filling up on gas. He doesn't even know what fucking trucks run on. Diesel. Yep. Yep. It's just fucking crazy. These 2030 goals that they're that they're putting out, in order to meet these goals, we have to in, we have to um, expand our transmission grid by forty percent. Or um, excuse me, sixty percent. So of the seven hundred thousand miles of transmission lines, 40% of which are past their 40-year lifespan and even more past 50 years, we have to build another 420,000 miles of transmission lines. And a transmission, a typical, like, let's talk a 500 kV transmission line. You're, you're, we've got a 800 or a 300 ton tower every 1,500 feet. You've got line that is one to three pounds per foot and we run bundle conductors so when you look at a when you look at a transmission line it's going to have three spots where your wires are going but on a big like 500 kv uh running down i-5 for instance this that's a big line running down i-5 that goes all the way from oregon um down to los angeles those run bundle conductors. So you've got six to eight conductors per mount. So we're talking 24 conductors per tower. One to three pounds per foot. One to three million dollars per mile. A tower, a, a 300 ton tower 
every 1,500 feet. So we're talking about billions of dollars, billions of tons of minerals mined probably by African children and poor Africans. You know, these people are talking about doing all of this in just America, and they want to go and take this to the rest of the world, which is just fucking insane. There's 1.3 billion people on this planet without electricity. We can't even imagine how much poverty there is around the world. And they want to keep these people from coming out of poverty, which in the past 30 years, 1 billion people have been brought in, lifted out of extreme poverty by fossil fuels and capitalism. And what do these people want? Yep. They want wind energy and socialism. They want to destroy everybody. Put people back in their class. Yeah. And, uh, get your, uh, get your yeah. slaves in line. I think it, it seems like a cattle drive in a lot of ways. Big time. Yeah, no, no, no. It's not about it's not about helping anybody. It's not about helping the planet. It's about keeping you oppressed because internal combustion and gasoline are no longer an option. Now it's so they give you freedom batteries. Freedom of mobility. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and if you don't if you don't agree, you wanna kill the you wanna kill the planet. You're a mm-hmm. bigot, you're a racist, fuck you. Yeah you you should die and then that's when your neighbor's okay with you dying because oh, you don't hold on a, to a, hold on to that a, thought for later <laughs> hold on to that one uh i mean it's it's wild that like they want to keep a billion people poor yeah I, I mean we let's let's continue with our transportation secretary and let's see if he he can shed some more light on the situation. And I mean, how about Thomas Massey coming with numbers? That's something you don't ever hear these people do is spit numbers. They never give you numbers on anything. We just need more. It has to be. We're, we need, that's yep. why we need to improve. They have n- yep. never looked at the numbers. They don't care about the numbers because this stuff cannot work for it's 330 million people, let alone. Yeah. 10 billion could you imagine them trying to huh oh i was gonna say one more point what what's the what's the sith lord guy klaus schwab or something like that um i've heard things i can't remember if it was a 2030 deadline but uh all of this with the clear um unsustainable and unattainable uh, goals that they're trying to set with this uh, green energy bullshit. It only the only thing that makes sense is that they actually are planning to kill off a quarter or half the population, and then all of a sudden, when there's only half the people on the planet, oh yeah, go ahead, burn the fossil fuels. Nobody cares. You know, four hundred twenty thousand miles may not seem like a lot. It's only you know sixteen times around the Earth. Could you imagine? building that and 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 think about this when i was working in north dakota you know what we did a lot of stealing native americans land <laughs> you laugh but i'm not i'm not kidding i don't i don't i know i don't i i don't mean to laugh because it's no, funny it's, I, it's, 
It's I get it. It's just it, it's a like the government, the United States government will take anything from anybody at any fucking time for for no reason. There's a like, oh, you got that? Oh, nope, that's mine now. Yep. All right. And they call it eminent domain. So they'll say yep. we yep. need power from here to here. The quickest way to get that power from here to here goes through your land. If you won't sell us the right of way to your land, we are going to take it through eminent domain. Yeah. And that's what we were doing to these Native American tribes. They've already been shrunk down to tiny little tribes. They're poor as fucking hell. And then we come along and say, we need this land. And, you know, you can do whatever you want on it still. It's still yours as long as you don't fuck with our power lines. And God bless these yep. people. They they made a deal with us. They said, all right, you can't drive on it. So we had to set, like, mm. they let us drive on it to set the poles, but we had to do everything else on foot. And I remember we were sitting around at lunch one day and everybody's bitching about these people. And I'm like, do you guys not think that this is fucked up? We're stealing their land. Like we're stealing what little land we've like left them with. It's fucking crazy. And 420,000 miles of transmission lines. Where do you think that's going to go? That's going to go on stolen land because you're going to have to go. You have to go from point A to point B with transmission lines. You can't, go any further otherwise you're going to lose more energy than it's worth and you have to subsidize them even more the stuff is parasitic it can't survive without the government and it can't survive without fossil fuels or nuclear energy or hydropower it can only be a secondary source you have to have a backup for it and then you have to have the government to subsidize the building a lot of these wind farms like there's this story back, I read about this in my geology class. Up in Oregon, there's a lot of um, wind farms that go through this valley. And they had this big fucking storm come through one day. And the windmills are just ripping. And it was overloading the grid. And they, they go to mm. the company. They go, we need you to shut these things off. And they go, are you fucking crazy? We can't shut these things off. If we shut these off, we lose money. And we lose our fucking yeah. subsidies from the government. We can't do this. And this was a German company. It wasn't even an American company. So it overloaded the grid and we had blackouts because these people refused to turn the fucking things off. Yeah. You think it's just yeah. they don't produce enough, but they can overload the grid too. It's just not set up for this variability. And a lot of big areas, yeah. the power companies aren't buying back solar energy anymore. Not they anymore. can't. It, they have too much of it now. At one point when it was just a novelty and very few people had it, like Thomas Massey, you were able to sell it back to the grid because they could handle a little extra here and there. But when you live in an area where you've got, you know, a lot of energy coming through, the kilowatt of energy coming through the grid from a certain area, you can't have that variability. You have to know how much you're purchasing from here, from here, from here, and you have to balance it. That variability just throws the whole thing off. All right, let's go into Pete Buttigieg. A lot of the scenario for this is also residential, uh, but it's also worth pointing out that uh, while a typical driver uh, who adopts electric is using more electricity, at the end of the day, they're using less energy because of the efficiency benefits of getting that energy produced at utilities. The problem is that we, don't, we don't have the capacity to produce that energy. You aptly use the word need. You could say want as well. It, there's needs and wants to make this fantasy work by 2030. But the reality is the capability is not going to be there. The average uh, household uses 17% of their electricity for air conditioning. And um, that would mean the average household uses 
1,870 kilowatt hours per year for air conditioning. If that average household plugged in electric cars, do you know how much more electricity they would use in comparison to the air conditioning that air conditions their whole house? No, but again, I would emphasize it will well, be less. Let me help, you. Let me help you with that first before we go on, because the numbers are important. It would take four times as much electricity to charge the average household's cars as the average household uses on air conditioning. Do you think that could be so if we reach the goal by 2030 that Biden has of a 50 percent adoption instead of 100 percent adoption, that means the average household would use twice as much electricity charging one of their cars as they would use for all of the air conditioning that they use for the entire year. Do you think this could contribute to rolling uh, blackouts and brownouts in areas of the country where air conditioning is basically considered essential? Not if we prepare. Look, oh the fact that people God. who have electric vehicles... Not if we prepare. <laughs> wait, wait a second, wait a second. What's a brownout? <laughs> a brownout is when they just uh, put out uh, like one neighborhood at a time. So it's like a, a rolling blackout. That Sometimes they call them rolling blackout. Yeah, it's fucking wild, right? And you know who always stays on? The tech companies, the weapons yep. manufacturers, mm -hmm. you know, anybody who's connected to the government, the banks, mm -hmm. they always stay on, you know? And here's what he misses. This is what Thomas Massey misses with Buttigieg here. Uh, let me, let me, let me, let's go. And then maybe I'll address it after the, the video ends. Here we go. Are going to use more electricity can't be a reason to give up. The idea that America is inferior to the other countries that have figured this out just doesn't sit well with us in administration. I'm, and that's I'm not why saying, we're investing I, in a better I, grid. In the time that I have left, let me say, Hopes, uh, dreams, I'm not saying rainbows. we shouldn't prepare. I told you at the beginning of this, I'm bullish on, on this technology. I am not. But the, the numbers and the rate of adoption has been developed using political science, not engineering. They're impractical. And if we blindly follow these goals that Biden has set out, it will cause pain and suffering for the middle class. And I yield back, Mr. Chairman. Thank the gentleman, uh, Representative John. Fucking killed it. He missed one thing. Here's where I, here's where I would have came in. Do you think it, 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 right now, when we run the risk of brownouts and blackouts, the first thing that power companies start to tell their customers to do is turn down their air conditioner. Is that what you're going to do with cars? Are we going to have to drive less when demand over overshoots supply? Are you just going to turn people's cars off like you do with their electricity? You know, we've got these nest systems that are in apartments and Power companies can just hijack these nests when the apartment manager or the owner of the building say, uh, you know, signs up for these power saver programs. They basically mm -hmm. give free reign to the power company to do whatever they want with the heating and air conditioning. They get away with less on the heating because heating is considered, um, you know, essential where yeah. everything else is like not. If, it's, uh, if it's negative not. 30, you, you can't. <sighs> I'm having an issue right now. What's up? <clears throat> Talk, you idiot. 
Huh? I said talk. Oh. You got to talk when I'm not talking. <laughs> You're just letting dead air go. You got to talk, man. Cut that. Cut that. Cut that. Um, edit that out. But yeah, I mean, it, that's kind of a, a like an obvious go-to at that point. What are you, what do you, how how essential is transportation going to be in the grid of 2030? Is this going to be an essential operation? How are we going to decide who is essential? I, I mean, is a hospital trip essential? How are we going to dictate these things? If we're using all of this energy, we are going to be we are going to we would have to completely reshape our grid. Right now, all of the energy for transportation is in fossil fuel energy. So we're yeah. we're ta- we're not just talking about improving the grid. We have to ex- we would have to expand it like they say 60% in order to accommodate this type of demand. And who's going to build that? People like me, people like you who don't believe in this bullshit but we got to have jobs. And I mean, it's, it's literally like a slave class in a lot of ways. You, We want this thing. We know you don't want it. We don't care that you don't want it. And we are going to force you to build it. Yeah. I but, mean, uh, if you're a line what's... company and you get, well, there's only a certain amount of contracts up. And if one of them's a, a 400 mile transmission line in the middle of texas to connect another wind farm and that's it that's all that you're you're able to bid on or or you're able to get a bid for what do you think they're gonna do they're gonna go build that fucking line against their own better judgment this is a huge fucking Uh, problem the uh like you were saying um is 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 driving like uh um critical or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. that, that's one of the things that they really had a case study of with the COVID lockdowns because sure. they, they were just, you know, like that is, um, you're essential. Yeah. You're like, you're not essential. Yeah. No, 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 no. Um, Oh, you work at Walmart. Yeah. Go ahead. Go to work. Yeah. Uh, I was apparently essential during that shit and I was one of the lowest paid employees and I had no idea what I was doing basically and but, but I was still supposed to go out there did I get hazard pay hell no no of course not it, it, it's it's crazy I mean who's going to be essential when I, I, it's just I don't know I, th- I think that they're going to get a rude awakening Hopefully in in November we'll we'll get some shift and I mean at some point we're just gonna have to say hey this is not gonna happen you guys gotta I I think the answer is secession I think we gotta split I think we gotta go our separate ways because they don't they don't want to build these wind farms in on Big Sur off the coast of California or right off the coast of Long Island they want to build these things in Montana. And Idaho yep. and Utah yep. and Arizona, and they want to run lines to their, you know, to their cities. They in wind energy, they have a, a what they call the Starbucks rule. So if you're within thirty miles of a Starbucks, you will get shut down every time. What? Yeah, really? yeah, because these liberals 
love wind energy as long as it's not in their field of view. <laughs> so if you're within 30 miles of a Starbucks, those type of people do not want to see windmills. That's fucking crazy, right? <laughs> no. Well, it's just, um, uh, like you said, unsustainable. It's unsustainable. Uh, it's inflationary, too, because this lets them keep printing, at, you know, uh, low interest rate printing to enrich themselves, and then they can throttle back the economy by holding out energy. You know, what better way to, to throttle small business than to make it too expensive for gas? To heat your shop, or you know, could you yeah, imagine it in crushing, if they made bit. it too expensive for you guys to heat your shop in December? What are you gonna do? You're gonna close. You're gonna build. What are you yeah. gonna burn wood inside of your fucking building? I don't think so. The only way you can do it is through fossil no. fuels, gas, propane. You're not gonna heat that building with fucking a windmill. That's for goddamn sure. Clean burning. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's yeah, pretty that, fucking crazy. So that at, at least at least I've got uh you know a half-ass backup plan going on. So even if the, yeah the the shop gets shut down, I can uh, I can perform operations at the home base. Yeah, that's always well a good thing. I'm trying to set up my side hustles, you know. So I don't I want I don't want to go back to work. I'm not you know. One of these people who are sitting around, oh, I can't wait to go back to work. People ask me, oh, are you getting bored? It's like, no, man. I, I could sit here forever. I, I really don't want to go back to work. So I'm trying to, you know, yeah. get together whatever I can to make enough money to where I don't have to work. I'd like it if maybe I could go work at a dirt bike shop a couple days a week or yeah. maybe a, a bar a couple nights a week. Something, you know, nothing serious. I don't want to have to work 40 hours a week. And Yeah. But there's things gotta, that I can do. I I got a, I got another, another thing I got to send you that I saw today that could be right up your alley. It was a, um, like a wholesale purchaser remote. Huh. Interesting. So you'd just probably be online freaking, freaking buttons. Yeah. Maybe values of bikes and purchasing. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to do, um, something with industry, you know, some industry type of job, uh, recluse clutches based right now here next to my house so that's a possibility yep, yep. they did a they did a custom clutch on on the old buell here it's the only one that exists only one that will ever exist what, because they said they're not doing another one what what model is your buell i can never remember it's an xb9 sx xb9 xs that's x like XX. supercross okay i don't know why it's called SX. So that's a 900 XB, yeah, XB9. It's a, it's a 927. So that's like a sportster motor? Yeah. That engine? Yeah. That what that is? Okay. Yep. All right. I know. She's a little screamer. It goes good. I mean, it's so oh, much yeah. lighter than a Harley. You know. Big time. There's a there's an old-ass sign. I sent you a picture of one of the signs of a promotional weekend or something, but there's another one up there in the shop that says, Own the Corners. I've been meaning to take a picture of that. Nice. You know, they're corner, corner and wheelie monsters. Yeah, that's for sure. I was always scared to wheelie it. I never tried. I like brought it. I would bring it up a little bit, but I was just 
it, you know, right. it's a nice bike, and yeah. I never want to bring it. Do we, would you? Do you wheelie your bikes? Yes, um, I did, but uh, I definitely was extremely cautious uh, until, and, and even still, I, I'm not like great at it. It's not like I can pull up the front wheel and ride for a mile, but uh, um. I was the same way as, uh, take it slow. You know, you just like barely, barely get the front wheel up. You're like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, and that. then eventually you start getting it, you know, higher and higher. But, uh, I would do like a high yeah, speed it's, it's, one where I'd hit a hill and just kind of, you know, lift it up in, in third gear or fourth gear, just a little bit, you know, I, I could, yeah. I could get it up like three or four inches and just kind of hammer. But I didn't. Yeah. I didn't like bringing it up any higher than that. But I mean, in second gear, this thing would have just stood up on the back tire, no fucking problem. You dump the clutch yeah. on this thing in second gear, and you're going over backwards if you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Exactly, and that—that's what I was gonna say. It's a—it's a whole different beast um, looping out on a dirt bike versus looping out on a on a big ass street bike. Yeah, and you're not. You know, you're, there's going to be a lot more damage to you and the bike. So. For sure. All right, anyway, so uh, one more story, last story of the night. We, uh, I, I still got to figure out my production. I, I, I still did too much, and I thought I might have not had enough this week, so we're skipping like three segments, essentially, and moving to the end. So aliens it is. Well, actually, I'll ask you, do you want to do aliens or cannibalism? Oh uh, man, um, cannibalism is going to take too long. Actually, yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely go aliens. Okay. Time. That's still one of my bucket list items. Before I die, I want to bang a green alien chick. I thought you were going to say I you guess, wanted to eat something for a second. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would, I would eat it too. It good, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> All right. So, have you ever wondered why a gray alien's gray? <laughs> I have actually. I I always wondered, like, what kind of fucking is it? A mammal? Is it a reptile? Like, what kind of fucking thing has this gray weird skin? You know. So here is I I showed you Linda Milton Howe. You you saw her right? Oh yeah, yeah. The, the cat lady. So she broke a big yep. story this week, or I guess it's been over like a month. So here we go with Linda Milton Howe. And about the Greys, I received the following information after last week's broadcast from my military aerospace source. The photos you will next see are from a confidential source back in 2021. Quote, no Grey is Grey in color. Even drone-engineered Greys like this four-fingered hand in this photo are pale in color, similar to human skin. And notice the long, dark fingernails of this being. Linda, in your book, An Alien Harvest, on page 59, you quote abductee Judy Doherty describing two gray entities that were dissecting tissue from a mutilated calf taken from a pasture outside Houston, Texas, in May of 1973. Quote, Judy wrote, their hands look funny. They have long claw nails, almost like an animal's dark nails, and they have large heads. Their bodies are thin 
They have a gray bodysuit on, but I can't see part of their skin. It's pasty looking and thin. Like if you would touch it, it might pop, close quote. And then my source explains, quote, what witnesses mistakenly take for a gray's gray color is a special type of nanotechnology of woven material very similar to Kevlar, like a police vest. The suit functions as a type of exoskeleton to supplement the poor muscle mass ratio of these beings. It also has a secondary function of sensory awareness of the environment. It is woven to the being before flight and kept on while out on assignments. AI biological clone grays keep the suit on almost its entire lifespan. The original tall grays use this same nanotechnology for similar reasons, but seldom use it while in space traveling, nor did they use it while evolving in their home system of Epsilon Indy due to lower gravity there. The original grays from Epsilon that's where I have a problem with this whole fucking thing is they're pointing out star systems that aren't very far from here. So I don't know how these aliens that have faster than light travel aren't living on top of us right now. Yeah. I, I mean, uh-oh. You there? I guess that is it for the night. I am going to take us out. And after that, we can still be friends, that is though. It for the and night. if not, we'll be Fuck friends. It.